Hey everybody and welcome back to Dear Adam Silver, a show dedicated to creating and discussing alternative perspectives on sports from the viewpoint of an artist. I am your host, Abigail Smithson, and my guest today is New York Times bestselling author, Andrew Marinus. Andrew was on the pod a couple of weeks ago to discuss his book, Games of Deception, and he is back on today to discuss his newest book, just out this past week on March 2nd, entitled Singled Out, The True Story of Glenn Burke, the first openly gay MLB player and the inventor of the high five. This is an incredible and devastating story and couldn't be more timely, as Democrats in the House of Representatives just passed the Equality Act, which is now on its way to the Senate, and if passed by both chambers and signed into law by President Biden, would establish anti-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people. In addition, there are also several states that are currently in the process of trying to pass anti-trans legislation in the area of sports. The story of Glenn Burke is ever relevant as we continue to fight for equal treatment for everyone, no matter their gender or sexual identity. Thank you to Andrew for coming on again, and thank you to you all for listening. Please share, subscribe, rate, and review Dear Adam Silver wherever you find your podcasts. Similar with my previous books, I I was looking for a story that would involve uh, sports, but also a more significant uh, social issue. And in addition to inventing the high five, uh, Glenn Burke was the first openly gay Major League Baseball player. Um, So that's what uh, drew me to the story. I'm also... um, a big baseball fan. I would say baseball is probably my favorite sport. It's a sport that I played growing up. I used to collect baseball cards. I think I learned how to read by reading the backs of baseball cards. Um, huge Milwaukee Brewers fan. Um, and so um, Glenn's story is one that has been written about a little bit. You know, back when he was um, sick and dying of AIDS in the mid 90s, there was some coverage. Uh, of this former major league player, you know, who was dying of AIDS, he wrote or uh, had a, a writer named Eric Sherman uh, ghostwrite an autobiography that was uh, just self-published back in the '90s, and so some awareness of Glenn, but not, I would say, much, uh, very much awareness of Glenn, even among baseball fans. So I just saw it as another opportunity to write a, a important story about sports and culture that that wasn't widely known, um, and for a baseball fan to have a chance to interview Dusty Baker and Davey Lopes and all these uh, team, Mike Norris and uh, teammates of Glenn's in the, in the seventies with the Dodgers and the A's was, you know, really fun for me. And then a chance to um, also learn and write about the gay rights movement in the 1970s and the backlash to that movement represented by people like Anita Bryant. And then, uh, the AIDS epidemic, I really thought it just brought um, so many interesting things together and would be another chance to write about sports and society in a a really uh, fun way. And so I just couldn't have had a um, more interesting and enjoyable experience researching and writing the book. Yes, I think, I mean, the the story of Glenn Burke uh, and how he is, you know, shared with us as being this super joyous person just very 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 alive uh and he plays growing up Mm -hmm. he plays all different types of sports and is really involved like in the you know neighborhood sports and it's just 
he seems so like filled with um, just like, you know, some natural physical ability, but also just like love of, you know, originally basketball and then just like competition and 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 different sports and how that was kind of like his joy of life was expressed through through playing those games Um, and and to see how that um, is sort of taken taken away from him. Mm -hmm. I mean, not sort of, but taken away from him by uh, the the Dodgers management sort of having uh, feeling as though at that point in his career, it was important to him. It was important to them that he be married uh, in order to, to show uh, or to prove that, that maybe he was not uh, gay um, for the organization and and kind of pressuring him and saying, we'll give you, I think it was $75,000. Yeah. Was, if you get uh, married, I mean, it's not a no small amount now. No, Especially in 1977, it was equivalent to the average salary. Um, yeah, but what you brought up earlier there, just the juxtaposition of this joyous person, um, it totally makes sense that he would be the person that would invent the high five, you know. Absolutely, he, he was uh, just gregarious, fun loving, funny, competitive, supportive of his teammates, um, was a great dancer, a great singer. Uh, loved music, loved music, <laughs> unbelievably charismatic athlete, super strong. Um, and so the idea that he would be the first one to congratulate his teammate in this exuberant way makes perfect sense if you know Glenn Burke. And then to contrast that with the fact that all of this is taken from him, um, once people find out, uh, you know, who he really is, and then that his life, um, after his livelihood is taken from him. He's hit by a car, uh, his legs are broken, you know, and he loses his identity as an athlete and things continue to, um, to spiral from there um, with uh, some drug use to mask the physical and emotional pain. And then, you know, living in San Francisco in the Castro, which for a few brief years is the very perfect place for Glenn to be, where he's allowed to be you know, who he is and who he wants to be. And he's surrounded by people who aren't judgmental that, that love him. But then he's in the uh, ground zero uh, for the AIDS epidemic, you know, and, and eventually uh, contracts HIV and dies of AIDS and dies to such a painful uh, and tragic death. And it's really, um, I mean, it's sad for anyone. And it, it is such a sad thing to happen to such a, a fun, loving, full of life type of person. Yeah, I mean, and and I think that we we also see that he was so young when he was kind of pushed out of the Dodgers. I mean, that he was still considered an up and coming player in a yes. lot of ways. I mean, he he and, and everyone loved him on this team. That he was just like the life force of of the dugout and was just this this amazing presence to to be around. That. Uh, this idea of and, and he hadn't even you know he hadn't chosen not to publicly come out or anything i mean he was he was kind of hiding his identity as a gay man from from people um that it could still be used against him because he publicly did not have a woman by his side right. or any children um or you know when there was just you know when other players on the team wanted to go out and and meet women, he would say, oh, I'm going to stay in tonight. And that was something that that was not acceptable. Yes. Um, So to address a couple of things you brought up there, one of the things was it was really remarkable that he was so valuable to this Dodger team. This is a very veteran uh, laden team with 
I mean, baseball fans can recite that lineup of Garvey, Lopes, Russell, Say, Baker, Smith, right? I mean, these are well-known, successful players to have this rookie show up, and they consider him the most important guy in the clubhouse, Glenn mm-hmm. Burke, who's not even not even playing very much, you know, uh, and what a force of personality that he had to take over that clubhouse. When he was traded to the A's, there were players like Garvey and, and Don Sutton who were crying at their lockers that Glenn Burke, who didn't even play that much, had been traded. That's how important he was to that team. Um, the players, many of the players had a sense that that Glenn was gay. He hadn't had, uh, and this is you know something I addressed in the cover title of the book. It talks about the first openly gay Major League Baseball player. He never had a press conference while he was playing uh, to come out, right? But his teammates were figuring it out. In the offseason, Glenn was living in the Castro. He wasn't hiding it from people in in that sense. Um, And so they knew when he was traded why this had happened. And it was because he refused to go along with this sort of bribery scheme that Al Campanis uh, um, proposed to Glenn in the offseason after the 77 World Series, where Glenn thought he was going to be meeting with Campanis to talk about kind of their plans for him for the next year. And instead, Campanis says, hey, uh, we noticed, you know, you're not married. Almost all the other players are. And Glenn says, you mean to a woman? And (laughs) Campanis says, yes. And Glenn (laughs) says, uh, well, no, he's he's not going to do that. And they say, well, we'll pay you $75,000 so you can have a nice honeymoon. You know, wink, wink. Uh, That was a lot more than was needed for a honeymoon at that time. Yeah refuses to go along with it, you know, which was uh, a strong statement that, that he was making at that time, that he was going to be, you know, who he was, uh, knowing that this might endanger his um, career with the Dodgers. On top of that, Glenn had become friends with Tommy Lasorda's son, uh, Tommy Jr., who and went by the is... nickname. Oh, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. Tommy Lasorda is the, is the manager at that time of the Dodgers. Yes. Lasorda was the manager uh, of, of a popular figure with fans in the media at that time, kind of seen as a bit of a blowhard by his players, but they were winning. So people uh, tolerated that sure. at the time. And um, Lasorda's son, Spunky, was uh, maybe 19, 20 years old and was gay. And uh, Glenn uh, became friends with him. There's questions about whether they were more than just friends, but regardless, they were friends. And uh, when, when Lasorda Sr. found out about this, um, he was not happy. And, I, you know, there's a reason to believe that that was what ultimately led to Burke being traded uh, from the Dodgers as Lasorda didn't want Glenn uh, around his son. Of course, Tommy Lasorda refused to acknowledge that his son was gay. And even when Spunky uh, Lasorda died of AIDS, um, he refused to acknowledge that that was the cause of death. Though um, so you have the homophobic management of the Dodgers more so than players you know um there were no players that were uh, opposed to glenn being a member of the team they, they loved him as a member of the team and he's traded to the oakland a's um where billy martin becomes the manager initially glenn thought that was going to be a, a good thing they had both gone to the same high school uh, berkeley high school he, he saw billy as a little bit similar in sort of a, you know a, a tough a fighter type of baseball guy um but Martin very quickly said that he wasn't going to let uh, Glenn, quote unquote, contaminate his team. He addressed, he called Glenn, uh, you know, the F word with other players on the A's and immediately demoted him to uh, AAA. And Glenn knew he would never have a chance 
um, to be called back up. And so you're right. Even as a young player uh, with potential, uh, Junior Gilliam, the Dodgers uh, first base coach, had said that Glenn had the potential to be the next Willie Mays. Um, he's not given a chance to f- pursue the career that he had uh, earned um, and is driven from the game of baseball. And this is presented to all of us, uh, to the readers, within the context of what was happening politically around the gay rights movement um, and, and and gay culture as well. So, you know, as as Glenn is sort of in the in the beginning, you know, as as a as a young adult, like 1920, you mentioned in the book that he's he's not really thinking about dating that much at that point. You know, he's kind of focused mm-hmm. on on sports and, and, and it isn't a thing. But as he becomes, you know, uh, more aware of 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 um, who he wants to be dating, and 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 disco culture is also coming up and on the rise. That that is just like this beautiful world for him that he discovers. That like he he becomes. Uh, it just it sounds so. It was just such a beautiful thing for him to to be a part of that and that to be presented in that context that he you know these clubs and this music and the fact that he right. loves music anyways and it was just like <laughs> felt like such a beautiful fit. Well, uh, thank you for saying that. I, I, you know, I always want to work in the context of what's happening in the broader culture into these books. And it was really interesting to read about the rise of disco and how that accompanied um, a gay rights movement in the mid 70s. And in some cases, it was almost indistinguishable, like where the line between disco and gay culture uh, was, you know. And so Glenn was um, right in the heart of that. Again, an example of him being somewhere uh at the exact right time and there's other play times where he's somewhere at the exact wrong time. But, um, as he's progressing through the Dodgers minor league system is the same time that Harvey Milk is ascending on the scene in San Francisco. Um, same time that Anita Bryant is leading anti, uh, gay rights, um, campaigns in Florida and other places in the country and in Florida while Glenn's in Florida for spring training. Right. And then there's the, um, Briggs Initiative in California, which would have stripped um, uh, LGBTQ people of their right to be teachers uh, in the state of California, um, as Glenn is playing pro ball in California. So there was, I didn't have to to stretch the connections between what was happening in the culture and how that uh, was so relevant to Glenn's life. He's living in the Castro when Harvey Milk is assassinated, you know, and so all of these uh, stories are able to um, weave together um, into the story of Glenn Burke's life. And then, of course, um, AIDS as well uh, and, and the end right. of his life. And the most one of the most uh, sort of uh, significant aspects of the AIDS epidemic was when Magic Johnson um, uh, announced that he had HIV and went on the Arsenio Hall show. And here you have another professional athlete from Los Angeles, uh, just like Glenn, you know, who is known as uh, such an exuberant and, uh, you know, you think of Magic's smile and um, Glenn's exuberance also, a lot of similarities uh, between these athletes. And so to make that connection as well is something I did in the book. Yes. And one thing that was so powerful about that is that when, uh, you know, after the initial press conference, when Magic Johnson announces that he's uh, HIV positive, and then he goes on Arsenio Hall the next night. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And yes. Then, and then he he makes sure to say, uh, "I'm not gay," on Arsenio right. to make it clear, um, which which both was offensive and allowed for people to understand that people who were uh, not gay could also contract this disease. 
Yes, and that, you know that's what makes that such an important uh, moment in history and in the history of of AIDS. And you know, Magic Johnson says he's not gay, and he gets a, like this ovation from the crowd, right? Which is sort of a cringeworthy uh, thing to think about, and you know, sort of insinuates that he's slept around a lot, but with women. And so uh, the gay men who were watching that happen had these conflicted feelings. And, you know, there are certainly no standing ovations when they announced that they had HIV, you know, and they're uh, considered immoral for having multiple uh, partners, right? Um, you know, on the other hand, they understood that uh, this figure um, who was so well-known, um, who by saying that he wasn't um, gay was was showing that anyone could get gays would um you know help in some ways in terms of the attention to hiv aids and the the, the money that might be spent on it and so they saw that there was some some promise there but certainly saw all the hypocrisy that was involved as well right that was a really um interesting moment just put into the context of glenn burke because i think that uh, as a basketball fan especially uh, i'm just used to seeing that moment as a as a I mean, it was a it was a national moment, but also as a as a basketball moment when it comes to sports. But how it affected um, this other figure as well, um, right? And, and how it changed that story. So some of Glenn's uh, former baseball teammates I interviewed for the book, and they talked about the impact that that Magic's press conference uh, had on them, and the fear that they had that they may have HIV also, and the fact that they knew they probably should get tested but we're a little scared to get the answer, you know? Um, and I think that was a feeling that probably uh, certainly people outside of sports had as well, but, but his announcement had those ripple effects throughout the sports world and just the, the, the culture, a road trip culture that, that accompanies sports. Sure. I, I also think even uh, reading about the, the AIDS epidemic from the perspective of being in a pandemic uh, was an mm -hmm. interesting experience, um, knowing that, you know, I was just listening to Dr. Fauci on a podcast the other day, who, and he was talking about just um, the, the host that was actually interviewing him had just had a, a family member die recently of COVID. And uh, Dr. Fauci was just talking about how horrible the AIDS epidemic was when everyone was dying. Yes. It was so, uh, it was just so, the way that he t spoke about it, it was just like that, and, and to have all these, um, a lot of d misinformation or, or just, mm -hmm. you know, as far as, um, you know, just even that players thinking they could get it from being close to Magic Johnson um, and things right. like that. Like it, it just, and of course this was much earlier that Dr. Fauci was talking about, but just, you really laid that out in the book too, just these hospitals filled with, with people, um, that, that were dying and, and there was nothing, nothing could be done. Yeah. I really wanted to approach the way I wrote about AIDS uh, as if I had never heard of it before, just like people back in the seventies were experiencing it or eighties were experiencing it for the first time, you know, um, in terms of, uh, what they were seeing, what they were hearing, what they were reading, the misinformation like you said that was even in the, um, gay newspapers in San Francisco mm -hmm. and how they thought it was spread how you could avoid it was all wrong, you know, initially, like so many other uh, epidemics are. Um, the way that uh, not only were your your friends getting sick and dying, but just the familiar faces in the neighborhood, you know, the mailman, the bus driver, um, people at the store, all of a sudden had disappeared. Um, and the fear that existed and not knowing exactly um, 
why this was happening. I found the doctor that admitted Glenn to the hospital uh, at San Francisco General, um, and he talked about just the scene there of these uh, otherwise young and healthy men that um, were sick and dying and their friends coming to see them for the last time with potluck meals, you know, at the hospital. Um, uh, uh, let's see, um, forgetting the word for it, like a travel agents who were um, arranging lost vacations for these men who were dying. And, you know, and they're just sort of the, the real world things that were happening. Um, people all of a sudden who found themselves homeless because no one would rent an apartment to them uh, the way that they were shunned by uh, society. One man dying of AIDS, he wanted just to fly home to die with his parents and the pilot wanted to kick him off the plane. You know, uh, when he goes to the hospital, no one wanted to be around him or touch him. Even at the funeral home, when they embalmed him, uh, it was done in a really inhumane way. Um, and so uh, immersing myself in that history, as well as the baseball history, was like a whole, you know, in, in all of my books, it's kind of like a graduate school experience, you know, when I'm just uh, learning about uh, new topics in a really in-depth way. So for this one, it was a lot of baseball, but it was a lot of also learning about the Castro and, and, and learning about um, when AIDS first came onto the scene. Um, and it took me back in time to, you know, I was al alive when this was going on, a high school student in, in Texas with first learning about AIDS. Uh, I remember Glenn Burke's baseball card. And so uh, it was fascinating for me to be writing about a period of history that, you know, I didn't experience this directly, but remember it. And my previous books all happened further in the past. And so it was purely historical. For this one, there were certain touch points that I remembered, you know, and so that, that was interesting uh, first experience for me as an author. Yes. And when I said before, the this idea of that the the doctors and nurses felt like nothing could nothing could be done, or they weren't able to to help the patients. Um, also, that our federal government could have done mm -hmm. things that could have helped the doctors and the nurses and everyone, but there was also this um, purposeful sort of uh, lack of responsibility towards HIV and AIDS because it was seen as a disease that was that was a part of the gay community. Um, sure, so I just sure. wanted to make sure that I touched on that because <laughs> uh, just to, you know, recognize that that Ronald Reagan really uh, yes. um, was was caused this situation to be worse, worse than it to had worse. to be. Yeah. Yeah. I was rereading the book um, two days ago um, because I hadn't read it for a while. You know, it hasn't come out yet, but I haven't read it for a while. Sure. And I wanted to be prepared for different interviews that I would be doing. Um, and I was just struck in by the similarities between the uh, purposeful uh, Republican um, non-response to AIDS that sort of clearly was mimicked by the Trump administration um, to COVID. You know, the money that was not spent, that was so clearly needed, the people who knew what they were talking about were calling for the fact that the um, president's press secretary back then was mocking reporters who would even ask about what the administration was doing about AIDS, uh, insinuating that to even be interested in asking that question, that you must be gay or that you must have uh, HIV yourself, um, you know, uh, it was really in so many ways a mirror image of, of what we've seen recently. Yeah, that was it. That was really um, striking to me as well. Just the and, that this lack of uh, 
the federal government just just not uh, showing up and being a part of this and and helping. Uh, in this case, I feel like yeah. in the case of COVID, anyone, uh, and, right. and you know, we know also that there's like disproportionate numbers yes. of, of 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 black and brown people that are affected by COVID, um, and and of course that was even more skewed with with HIV and AIDS with the gay community. Right, and that's what I was going to say. Is it was it was um, it was it was hate at the root of it. I mean, there were plenty of uh, Republican uh, legislators, uh, government officials media commentators that were saying out loud that gay people were just getting what they deserved, you know, um, with AIDS. Um, and so you see that hate there. And I think absolutely what you said about uh, as soon as it was learned that uh, black and brown people were being killed by COVID at disproportionate rates, um, you saw the the lack of response um, uh, from Republicans in, in power. Um incredible ways. And so uh, it's the same uh, hate at the, the root of all of it. Yeah. White supremacy um, and yes. and a, a Christian, a Christian root in many ways. Um, yes. So uh, getting back to Glenn um, a little bit, I think that what we see towards the end of the book is that he uh, cares about he, I mean, he's a very, you know, as we've mentioned, a joyous person who loves like sort of spreading that joy you know, being, uh, lifting other people up as well. And he really cares about what the impact that his life and his experience as a, um, gay baseball player at the, at the major league levels. And also I think like, you know, it, it also means something different, I think as like a black gay baseball player as well. Um, how, how his story can help other people, how his experience can help other people. And so, um, he, he decides to, to publicly come out, uh, and and sets up this interview and, and if you could just talk a little bit about about that experience because he was actually also hoping that you know kind of clearing the air and coming out and and sort of shining a light on the situation in order to to benefit others in the future also he could maybe get back into professional baseball at that point because he is still very young and still very capable yes so this is uh, 1982 which is two years after uh he played his last minor league professional, uh, baseball game. Um, he, he comes out, uh, publicly in an article in inside sports magazine, uh, that was written by uh, a former uh, lover of his name, Michael Smith. Um, and Glenn was a little bit ambivalent about the article. Um, but ultimately, as you said, felt like, well, this may do some good for other people. And, it might be a way of getting back into the game, getting some publicity, learning why he had been driven from the game. It wasn't that he was, wasn't a good enough player. You know, this had been an unfair exit from baseball. He also does an interview with Bryant Gumble on the Today Show. A young Bryant uh, Gumble. <laughs> yes, in his first year as a host of the Today Show. It was fun for me to watch that interview, a clip of the whole interview, actually. Um, and it's it's sad in a way uh, and talking to some of Glenn's friends from that moment in time who accompanied him to New York uh, Glenn is hopeful that this publicity um, will be a way back into the game because he really is left without purpose in life you know he was an athlete who was still in the prime of his career um, and he's had this ripped away from him and he's having a really hard time adjusting to you know, being just uh, a normal guy looking for a job. Um, but with 
uh, strikes against him in American society. Being uh, a black man and being a gay man, I mean, the usual career choice for an ex-ball player or a typical career choice might be going into coaching, right? But there aren't a lot of black teachers hired at schools at that point in time. There are certainly aren't a lot of gay t- coaches um, at that time. And so he's really left with, without much, um, he's floundering. He's yeah. really floundering and is, is hopeful that this interview will lead to something better. And there's surprisingly very little response to the, to the article in inside sports or to his interview with Gumbo on today's show, not even controversy about it. You know, when Dave Cope, when Dave Cope had come out, um, as a gay football player, after those initial articles, his own on him, uh, Glenn was always supported by his family, but his interview and his uh, article in the magazine are really overshadowed by AIDS at that moment. Um, and so uh, nothing really materializes uh, from what he had to say at that time. You know, flash forward 15 years or 13 years to when Glenn is dying. Again, he's hoping that his story will lead to something good, will we'll make it easier um, for gay athletes in the future. Um, and that's what he really wants to get across to the reporters uh, who come to see him on his deathbed. You know, and again, I think that that um, is a message of this book also. Even though Glenn's story is sort of alternatingly inspiring um, and tragic, Ultimately, uh, I hope that there's a hope there, you know, in the sacrifices that this person went through um, and hopefully a greater understanding and acceptance today in 2021 will make it easier um, for young gay athletes uh, today. Yeah. And I, I think that that non-response, like the fact that when he finally did decide to come out in this public way after having thought about it so many different times and kind of chosen not to, that there isn't any response. I mean, that there's not yeah. really an acknowledgement of, you know, what a, what a big deal that even is um, in a way that uh, he had hoped, let alone just like the, the the job opportunity that he had hoped for coming from this. Like it just is really that that feels like such a, a turning point in, in the story um, because it's like up until then we're kind of building up to him coming out in this like public way or acknowledging it. And then Mm -hmm. once it happens and there's not, there's, there's nothing there for him offered to him um, professionally or otherwise, like it it is really uh, heartbreaking and uh, things kind of uh, unravel for him from there, like uh, mentally, emotionally, and, and also physically. Yes. I think, you know, part of that has to do with baseball sort of wishing the story would go away, right? So there's not uh, support from him coming from MLB at that time. There aren't a whole lot of baseball writers that are interested in in writing about this. You know, um, he's even sort of screwed over by uh, his friend Michael Smith, who wrote the article. Glenn thought that at least he'd get some money. You yeah, know, Michael was right. being paid for the story. Uh, Glenn was under the assumption that they would split the, the money that came in from the story. And Smith never gave him any of that money, which um, was similar to some of the other ways that he took advantage of Glenn. In real practical ways where this guy is having a hard time finding a job, he doesn't even get paid uh, for the story that came out. 
Right. And even the way that base or the Dodgers, at least, because the high five had been invented by Glenn when he was a member of the Dodgers, the Dodgers kind of took over that story as their own (laughs) rather than acknowledging that it was Glenn or celebrating Glenn or, you know, keeping Glenn on the team (laughs) and making him feel valued. Instead, he's pushed out. And then also uh, they go on to kind of act as though that's that's the legacy of the Dodgers, that the high five was invented there. It's really, really disturbing. Yes, it reminds me a little bit about the way the NFL sort of will paint, you know, end racism in the end zone and run these. Oh, absolutely. The Super Bowl. At the same time, <laughs> they blackball Colin Kaepernick. So, you know, Glenn Burke invents the high five as a member of the Dodgers. The Dodgers run with that as sort of their marketing slogan. Um, they put a picture on the, I think the game program or the media guide the next year of the high five, but instead of Glenn, it's Dusty Baker and Steve Harvey on that image. Um, and so they're plenty happy to use the contribution of Glenn, uh, but not have, uh, able to, or willing to keep him on the team. So you see the hypocrisy there. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think also just how, how these larger institutions function where they really like take what is valuable to them or what, you know, is the feel good story from anything Mm -hmm. that, that might not have ended that way or actually been that way in reality and just like use it, use it, use it to make, to, to make their image in like the most profitable way profitable way possible. It's really just such a pattern in so many ways. I mean, just with the NBA right now, I'm like, how could you have so much Black Lives Matter stuff over the summer and like not any Black Lives Matter stuff now? Like this is still a problem. Like is the NBA suggesting that or is the non-player aspect of the NBA suggesting that we no longer need to be acknowledging this regularly. Like it's just (laughs) um, the the way that these ideas get sort of twisted and and taken and, and, and used and then kind of discarded or, or made, you know, to profit in some way for that organization. It's really just awful. And I'm really curious to see what the reaction will be to the book from the Dodgers and the A's now, you know, um, in recent years, you've seen, uh, the Dodgers, they have gay executives in important positions within the team. Um, they've got uh, the Pride Night activities that they've had. Um, they acknowledged Glenn last year on social media um, in a pretty big way, um, and Major League Baseball did as well. You know, Billy Bean um, is you know an important piece of that happening. The A's, as an organization, really stepped up to help Glenn at the end of his life when it was uh, when they became aware that he was living homeless on the streets of San Francisco, um, Pamela Pitts, a woman with the A's front office, um, helped to at least get Glenn um, food and and uh, housing. Um, but neither team really sort of was too cooperative with me <laughs> while I was working on the book. The A's a lot more than the Dodgers. Um, and so I don't know how they really... Uh, feel about this story. I mean, I can understand in one sense that maybe they want to celebrate Glenn now, but understand that there's going to be some hypocrisy to that when they didn't support him at the time he needed it the most. But you know, my feeling is, um, some ways, it's 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 never too late. And acknowledging the truth of a situation is always the best, even if it's wanted at the time. I'm just going to read this quote from the end of the book. As for Glenn Burke's other lasting contributions to the world, 
One of his lifelong friends, Abdul Jalil al-Hakim, said, We're channeling Burke's spirit anytime we stop and appreciate the rare moments of exhilaration in our lives and in the lives of those around us. He was a joyous, gregarious person. He could high-five you without necessarily going through the motion with his hands, al-Hakim said. The high-five liberated everybody. It gave you permission to enjoy your high points. And I just think when I mentioned earlier about a legacy or about the concerns of that, just that this is like a worldwide action, the high five. This is something that is that is beyond language, uh, that people uh, past a certain age in almost every country know what to do, I would say. When you put your hand up, the way that Glenn Burke put his hand up at home plate for Dusty Baker <laughs> the first time, like people know how to respond to that. Um I haven't really been to that many countries, I can't say for sure. But I just think that that is that it is such a, a universal thing. And that's, you know, why I decided to and, and also I would say universal, but happens so much in basketball, specifically just because the players are so close to each other all the time. Right. Um, it can happen so fast. You could have five high fi- five high fives happen in three seconds. You know, like it just it's, it's <laughs> yeah. so it's so incredible. And um, I just think that that. It's become it's become so ubiquitous that it kind of is something that's just in the background. And that's why I, I kind of enjoyed it was a little bit of a stressful experience, but I really enjoyed <laughs> paying attention to the high fives because is this really beautiful a way to say uh, to acknowledge someone? Yes. Maybe you're acknowledging that they did something amazing. But usually when basketball players or any sports players do something or sorry, any athletes do something really amazing, uh-huh. it's beyond a high five. You know, you kind of like might carry them or hug them or, you know, something <laughs> right. that's even bigger than that. But the high five is such an easy sort of quick motion. It's like you make your free throw, you get a high five. You miss your free throw, you're going to get a high five. It's like, um, it's just, there's something so just uh, accept, sort of accepting and uh, just appreciation about just the high five being a constant part of the game that just feels really like a supportive environment to me. And it feels right. exactly like the environment that Glenn created for other people. And it just is like so awful that that was not returned to him. Returned to him. I know what a what a legacy to leave to the world to create an act of joy and celebrating other people. You know, I mean, I, I think most people would, if they could do that, like what other, you've done your job on this earth, <laughs> you know, if, if that's what you're remembered for. And that Glenn was that type of person that celebrated other people um, and was happy for them when they, when they succeeded, was there to support them. I mean, I think there's been studies about that value of that touch, you know, in sports and like people will study film of like, do you lift a guy up when he falls on the ground? Right. Like, do you celebrate through a high five or a dap? Um, and the teams that do that more uh, are successful, you know, I mean, so it wasn't just uh, an act of celebration. It was an important part of building a team and cohesiveness, you know, and that's what Glenn was all about. And yet people weren't willing to return that favor to him really is tragic. It is. He gave us a lot. And uh, yeah, it, it was not reciprocated. And, um, and I just the, this book and, and having known just a little bit about Glenn Burke before reading this book or just knowing that the high five, there was a moment when that started, um, mm-hmm. you know, it makes you think about it differently. It makes you think about, you know, just the action uh, itself, uh, what what it means and, and where it came from. Um, and just even 
I think there was a, sh- a really short documentary about it a couple of years yes. ago, maybe by 30 for 30 or something. Yes, um, there was. And just I think that Dusty Baker was just describing like rounding the bases and seeing Glenn <laughs> just standing there with his uh, hand up and just being like, oh, I didn't really know like where to go with this. So I just like, <laughs> yeah. reached out my hand. It was just like what beautiful like sort of innocence in sort of developing something. What just wonderful like <laughs> an example of just sort of uh, human ingenuity and just like reacting to your intuition (laughs) i just love that that it just came from this very simple sweet uh moment between these two men who 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 cared about each other so much it was pretty pure i mean it was just spontaneous Pure is the word pure is the word (laughs) (laughs) saying you know i like those um manufactured touchdown celebrations in football some of them are fun but you can tell that those guys have been working on them for a while and what was cool about the high five with uh, Glenn and Dusty was that it was just purely uh, spontaneous uh, celebration of that moment. Right. Uh, absolutely. It was just a sort of human expression in, in, like you said, a very pure form. Yes. And the other thing you mentioned was how people do this all over the world. And I, I've been doing this silly thing on Twitter to count down the days till the book comes out is a playlist of songs that relate to Glenn Burke's some a lot of disco from the 70s and other songs that relate to his story. And the one I posted today is from a, a Danish singer named Sigrid who has a song called High Five. And I just thought that was cool. Who would have guessed that this just uh, that happened over what, like a second at Dodger Stadium in October 2nd, 1977, would take off to the point that people in Denmark would be, you know, writing songs. Uh, it's pretty amazing when you think of As always, I am happy to share that this episode of Dear Adam Silver is brought to you by Bookman's. During the month of March, Bookman's here in Midtown Tucson is featuring the work of local artist and clothing brand Black Broccoli. And Bookman's is also honoring the legacy of graphic novel writer Will Eisner by virtually featuring a range of Arizona artists and creators in all sorts of formats on the Bookman's East Facebook and Instagram page. And the best news of all, you can pick up your own copy of Singled Out, The True Story of Glenn Burke by fan favorite Andrew Marinus at Bookman's. Bookman's Entertainment Exchange sells used books, records, movies, musical instruments, and more, and is a wonderful community-oriented store where the shelves are stocked with items brought in by the community. In addition to shopping, you can also trade your own used items in at Bookman's for cash or store credit. Bookman's has curbside pickup for books ordered ahead of time and for selling and trades. Please visit www.bookmans.com for more information and details about events and to find your nearest location. And remember, Bookman's has cool covered. Here I talked to a guy who started National High Five Day, which is celebrated every April. Said it was kind of a dud last year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Okay, well, I'm glad that I know that that exists now because I'll make sure to uh, acknowledge it. I think uh, in COVID, the the lesser known holidays ha- are now more important because we we have less to look forward to sometimes. <laughs> so it's important. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just I think even with the recent, you know, where you know the NBA started having this like outbreak of COVID, and they were discouraging the players from opposite teams 
touching each other unnecessarily, like, quote, unquote, unnecessarily after the games, hugging, um, you know, shaking hands, whatever. And I was like, don't discourage that. That's, like, one of the most beautiful parts of the game is, like, the players embracing each other. Um, And, you know, I also just love how players help each other up and sort of like care about each other's bodies in that way. Um, especially when it seems, you know, you know, as you say in the NFL, like the NFL is not necessarily caring about uh, their bodies or, you know, like it, it happens in many right. sports institutions, but just the high five, just like this, this human presence, this way of saying like, I see you, I see what you just did. And, and here's my hand. Like, it's just a really, it's a really lovely thing. And, and I'm so grateful for Glenn Burke and, and I'm grateful to just know more about him and, and, and know the whole story. Oh, a really fun conversation. I uh, appreciate you me about it i hope that um people in tucson since i can't be one of the best book festivals in the country i was really looking forward to coming but i'm grateful for the chance to do the virtual and to do your your podcast and hopefully be able to come out there for training soon as a fan you know coming to um arizona is always on my list absolutely well as soon as whenever you're here as soon as you're here we'll have to um plan a lunch or something like that and uh i'm just uh this book is is great and i'm so excited for it to come out especially now i think uh, it just you know always would be timely unfortunately but uh now even more right. so and so yeah. um yeah thanks for writing it <laughs> <laughs> thanks abigail thank yeah. you so much all right sounds good we'll take care stay safe stay warm and uh we'll talk soon thanks andrew all right sounds good bye bye